I beg the director to allow me to smash my head against the tree. Good evening and welcome to Midnight Videos Doomsday Clock. Our curtain call countdown from the cult compound with your host, me, Phil Walsh. And me, Jim Hall. Tonight, with the hands poised at five minutes to midnight, we party like it's 1999. Reminisce over Juliet Lewis and pray that the Y2K bug doesn't result in dodgy downloads from Rife Fines in Catherine Bigelow's futuristic epic, Strange Days! Most of the films that we've been uh, choosing for the Doomsday Clock are runners-up from the listeners' vote, directors' choices. This is one of your choices. It is. Yeah. It's a curveball. It's a curveball. As they say. Ooh. For someone who I've grown less and less fond of James Cameron over the years, I think we talked about that briefly on another show. I saw those letters you sent him. <laughs> this was either the first or second 18 I saw at the cinema. I'm not sure whether it's this or Desperado. They came out at a very similar time. Gosh, yes, that's bringing back memories. Yeah. <laughs> but I love them both. And as time's gone on, uh, I don't know, Straight Days has always gotten a lot of flack, I think. Maybe justifiably, maybe not. We're here to discuss that now. I, I really want to hear what Jim says about it, and maybe it'll burn some embers in your minds as well. Oh, I know it's the end of the world, Lenny. No, tell me. Has everything's already been done? No? Every kind of music's been tried, every government's been tried, you know? Every fucking hairstyle, fucking bubblegum flavors, you know, breakfast cereal, every type of fucking, you know what I mean? What are we gonna do, man? How are we gonna make another thousand years, for Christ's sake? I'm telling you, man, it's over. We used it all up. 1995 Strange Days foresees a terrible future in which technology allows consumers to mainline the experiences of others, police corruption escalates, and Juliette Lewis has a music career. Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron's dystopian thriller pits Lost Souls' Rafe Fiennes, Angela Bassett and Tom Sizemore against a serial killer, a conspiracy, and a future Los Angeles at boiling point as the millennium ticks closer. As I mentioned, you know, this is one of the films, whenever you go to see a film at the cinema, it's kind of memorable but this is one of my first 18s I think I was 16 I'd just joined the army and <laughs> your movie selection from your days uh, <laughs> your days in camouflage are quite peculiar aren't they powder yeah uh, what was the other one we mentioned uh, pillar then? book maybe or <laughs> pillar book <laughs> you did take the pillar book to the barracks did you I did see the pillar book Bloody when I was in the army. Okay. Um, yeah I, I don't know I was just quite open minded I guess <laughs> hey I know you're open minded it's what the rest of the squad is going to well be they thinking. didn't like it obviously but uh, but yeah uh, Strange Days um, I had a big reminder of this a couple of years ago when um, Gaspar Noé's Enter the Void came out which is a film where you are the, the camera oh, it's all first is first person isn't it exactly yeah. and you have 
some amazing sequences in this and I read in interviews that he was quite influenced by this I think his his original idea was he saw Lady in the Lake which is a 50s noir sort of film oh not the uh, Shamalama Ding Dong no 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 (laughs) Um, 50s noir movie where you do have you are the protagonist throughout a sort of magic mushrooms Uh, I read later on that this was one of the films he looked at to see how you could do it, you know, how it could be done. And then I found out that it took them a year to develop the camera to use for those hmm. small sequences, which you have at the beginning and a few times throughout. But I didn't know that at the time when I saw it. This, you know, I just thought, yeah, this is jolly old sci-fi romp. I'm, I'm loving it. You know, it's, I was going to ask, do you remember when you first saw it thinking that the idea of downloading main uh, people's experiences was John particularly... Uh, well, I was going to say, because <laughs> I remember it's William that Gibson, the same time. It? But, um, it's William Gibson. Yeah, but Cyberpunk was very uh, ochre on at the time, was it? I suppose, but I, that's what I was reading comics still, and mm. I was reading sci-fi that had that... It wasn't that... That kind of element to the whole film wasn't that interesting to me. Um, I enjoyed the the near future thing. Mm. What appealed to me, which Gibson did in his books, but he can't write very well, I don't think, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, I like the fact that we were watching a film which is only five years projected into the future, which for me was quite odd. Like for a sci-fi, science fiction has always been in my mind. Certainly, as a youngster, was it's out there. It's way out there. It's far, far flung futures. Um, I'd read some Philip K. Dick books and stuff as I was like growing up as a teenager, but they still felt very much in that sort of vein. I think if you read anything from the 50s onwards in science fiction, especially American science fiction, it has that far-flung idea. Even if they write it down, it's 1998 or whatever, when they were writing it in the 50s, it still retains that you're reading it at the time and it, you add that 30 years regardless. Yeah. I was watching this thinking, all right, yeah, well, I can I can get that. I can get the Rodney King quotes. I can see how nothing is too far future. You know, the cars are still on the floor. Yeah. People still wear the same. They, they talk about Armani, and it's all things I could relate to, and I'm sure they weren't aiming at a 16-year-old mind, mm. perhaps. <laughs> well, it is, uh, it is Cameron. But I didn't know that at the time. I I was still like massively in love with things like Terminator Two and stuff. And it's only over a long period of time I've, I've seen the hollowness and uh, quite <laughs> white Anglo-Saxon approach to all these films. Gosh. That well, well, I don't know. Maybe that's getting a bit political there. <laughs> but you know, you have to sometimes. What how you how you view these things later on. So yeah, I, I've been going non-stop yeah no uh, it's interesting you just kind of almost throw away mention the Rodney King thing because that <laughs> seems to absolutely inform what this is about isn't it I mean this was made in 1995 so it wasn't throw with it I just well, thought no, that I was quite an obvious it, <laughs> yeah, it was almost too obvious but it's um, we should mention that I mean the, what the Chicago um, uh, Chicago the LA riots were uh, 92 I think weren't they mm. um, after Rodney King was beaten and, and caught on film um, the police beating him this 95 seems built completely around that and um, it's, an, it's, an, it's a common idea with science fiction that you take what's happening now and exaggerate it to um, a conclusion whether it's in a logical one or otherwise good sci-fi is often like a caricature it's like taking points and you know really accentuating them and making you look at them and really focus on them 
I remember when this came out, I think it did get a bit of a bad press or it flopped at the box office or something. But mm. I remember watching it and really enjoying it, you know. I watched it at um, the Prince Charles, so it was after it come off, It had come off main release. But the great thing with the Prince Charles, certainly then, I think it's probably still true, is it means that most screenings are jam-packed. Mm. You know, because it, it's a cheap cinema, it's, it's stuff that's just come off the main run. It's great watching films with a big, packed audience and you know you're experiencing it with everybody. I remember really enjoying this, and the odd thing is I can't remember if that idea of mainlining people's experiences seemed like a fresh concept. I can't believe it is, because it is a very old idea, but... Um, I remember thinking this was unexpectedly good. I'd not watched it since, you know. I watched it obviously in preparation for this, and um, yeah, there is there are odd things like remembering that Ray Fiennes was coming off the back of pretty much just Schindler's List and The Baby of Macon, yes, <laughs> Peter Greenaway yes. movie. Uh, I think Juliette Lewis was probably uh, hot property at the time. She was coming off um, Cape Fear. I think she might have done um, Husbands and Wives, the Woody Allen film. Does but she, gone? yes, yes, that as well. Uh, and Angela Bassett was coming off. Uh, What's Love Got to Do with It? The Tina Turner biopic. So it seemed like these none of them were really kind of people who were going to open a film, and it seemed like they were doing something. I'm not going to say low brow, but kind of unexpectedly mainstream for them. Science fiction is always a big step, isn't it? For um, uh... yeah. But well, in the, those days, I think more than it's, now, it's very strange now to watch this with Ray Fiennes because you're much you're much more used to him being the kind of character he usually plays. He's, he's usually a, an English gent of some sort, and as we say this, I think the trailer for Voldemort. Um, oh, I've not watched. I've not watched Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm not saying he won't take the. Uh, he, but he's a recognised. He won't take no. the Hollywood shilling. But um, <laughs> no, as we say, uh, as we record this, I think the trailer for Skyfall the next James Bond's just come out and he's in that so I think he's got a key oh, role right. he's got oh, a key role, role in that and yeah I, I suppose no I had no idea he's he's, he's, he's I was going to say he's getting on a bit now he's matured now but it's weird to remember that there was a point when he might have been groomed almost <laughs> as a Hollywood leading man cottage <laughs> no I'm not going to say that however <laughs> that's kind of appropriate to this because the, the, the atmosphere of this is so sleazy and mm. it's an unusual thing uh, it's um, it's obviously meant to be a big budget Hollywood mainstream movie, but the atmosphere of it is incredibly downbeat, isn't it? And specifically because Fines is meant to be the main character, is this mm. guy who's is a is an ex cop, um, Lenny Nero, which we've never seen in a film before. <laughs> he's an ex cop, uh, but now he's he's gone into effectively drug smuggling, hasn't he? He's doing this thing with this downloads yeah. of um, people's experiences. They kind of pay lip service to him not being completely scuzzy because you won't do the equivalent of snuff, which is um, people whose experiences have been <laughs> people whose experiences have been recorded and they died during it. So we we, we know that he, there's a line he won't cross, but throughout his he's a complete fuck up, isn't he? He is. He is like I. Uh, it was very funny because he's I, not an. A, he's not I've a. He's not an aspirational character at all, is he? No, but he's not. He's not even. He doesn't even get into the antihero sort of role even I don't think they, this time I watched it and I had an overwhelming idea that this film is very much like video drama and he's the James Woods character hmm. he even talks like James Woods in video drama he's got the, the accent mouth and stuff. Yeah. yeah and there's that sort of he's lost he's getting into things way deeper than he can comprehend all the time and it gets harder and harder to like him but you do see him sort of 
getting further and further out in the ocean and you think well I've got to sort of who who else are you going to link up to because you got Mace who um, Angela Bassett's character who mm. is kind of his guardian angel he got his best friend Tom Sizemore who is renowned for it throughout Hollywood for being an absolute fuck up Hugh Grant doesn't like him <laughs> really? I think he didn't he um, hook up with Liz Hurley oh right ah yeah. well, fair play What's um, Hugh Grant ever done to deserve that? <laughs> and the thing is, I found it really hard to like get into his character this time. I was like, it, through a sort of critical point of view. It's just like there's nothing about him that you should like. He wears yet. leather trousers. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's one thing. But it's quite admirable, like to uh, uh, Cameron for writing the character so detestable on all levels. Yet there is some modicum of humanity about him. Like, well, I was going through this and thinking, this is a thing for me um, with Hollywood films because they're so used to anti-heroes, whether they be um, well, it's usually crooks trying to pull something off. But you can equally have films when there's a cop trying to stop the crook, and it seems like they're the same plot. But whether if you're watching the crooks, then you're on their side, and it's just whoever the camera seems to be pointed at. And you're wondering with this, is he actually? Is there actually anything more to him than any of these other awful characters that he's associating with? And like I say, there's that thing that he doesn't do blackjacks. He doesn't do the the real hardcore end of it. It's also interesting with Angela Bassett's character because I think she's presented as someone who'd be a bit of a, a hard ass or something, mm. and you shouldn't like her because she's a bit too. Usually, she's almost emotionless. Usually, in a film, you go, "Oh God, she's the she's the starch color one who's stopping everyone's fun." But as soon as you get a scene like that, she'll then explain, "I'm I'm you know watching out for you because yeah. you know you can't take care of yourself and don't have a go at me because this is my situation at the moment." Well, there's very clever exposition, isn't there? There's all a situation yeah. with her kids and mm. you know and and what's happened to her with her husband and everything. I've got to say, I don't think she's given anything like as enough screen time as she deserves I think she's a much more interesting character than Fines but obviously for the way these films are made because that was another thing um, Catherine Bigelow I'm not sure if the, no I think it's worth saying this it's she's a really good director and you know I've actually I've not seen Hurt Locker even though that uh, it's a few years old now best film she's made I think yeah um, no I've, I've heard nothing but good stuff about it and she you know I'm going to say she won the Oscar for it. I've got to say I don't give a monkeys about the Oscars. I don't, <laughs> I don't really care about them at all. But, you know, it's kind of nice if someone gets acknowledged. An interesting thing watching this was it's a female director, but it doesn't. It almost seems to be going further than a male director mm. in terms of how uh, sex is portrayed in it. There's a lot of scenes in this of, um, yeah, obviously one of the main um, plot strands is there's a serial killer... There's this thing of downloading people's experiences. So there are at least two key scenes when we get to see a man raping a woman, getting ready to kill her. And uh, you are thinking, mm, is this... Obviously, I probably wouldn't think this if it was a male director, but with a, fem a female director, you're thinking, what was going through her head when she was doing this? Was she thinking, I, I've got to go further than a bloke would do in order to kind of justify mm. myself? That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I'm being a bit, you know, well, I, I, a, I, a bit I, of a wet liberal or something. No, I viewed it uh, very much in like this, just like drips with that sort of giallo, like black gov, black gloved. Sorry, 
you know the um, point of view of the male what, guy yeah all the time violating a woman and exactly. specifically the stuff with like Stanley knives yeah yeah their, yeah their uh, knickers was, off and stuff and I found it quite I found that really interesting that a female director would choose to portray it that mm. but also then you've got all these scenes with um, Juliette Lewis who not too shy of uh, porting from her kit yeah and I was watching them thinking this is a very male perspective like it Very is, and like I say, I'm on dodgy ground to even bring this up because probably if it was a male director, I wouldn't mention it at all. But it's interesting if you've got a female director and thinking, you are you wondering these. if she's pressured into it or if she feels she has to do it? Or yeah, I am. Right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Cause no, actually, I, I, I was questioning that. I was thinking because for that period yeah. as well, so that early night. Well, it's mid nineties, yeah. so it's it's that it's after things like Basic Instinct, mm-hmm. uh, Jade, and those like terribly <laughs> hilariously exploitive <laughs> sex scenes that just don't need to happen but then you have a female director with a lot of clout yeah but well. she's ostensibly making an action movie here yeah. she probably thinks oh we, we probably need a bit of tits and ass to uh, yeah. keep the crowd in it's, it's, it's odd mm. it's Juliette something. Lewis um <laughs> Again, interesting because, like I say, I watched this when it came out, and I had a I had a lot of time for Juliette Lewis um, mm. back then. I really liked her. She's kind of well, she's not vanished. She did have a pop career quite briefly, didn't she? I don't think she's. I, I like her songs in this, to be honest. Yeah, well, I she like covers she, a, she covers them. some PJ Harvey, doesn't she? Interesting because she was probably one of the bigger star names on the cast list, but her character is a cipher a bit, really, isn't she? Or am I being unfair? No, I, no, she's quite integral. I think <laughs> right, she's integral. I suppose I'm looking at in terms of who who makes the decisions and who's who's proactive and who gets everything sorted out. But she's been dictating end. it from the beginning, though. Mm. Really, if you think, mm. I, I think more. I think the more wasted character out of all of this film, who is always the most undersung hero of the nineties. I was going to say the 90s is a genre now, but Michael Winker, the Canadian actor with the voice like this. Oh, is that the manager? Yeah, it's the Sagai of Gisborne. Who looks a bit like Steve Tyler from Yeah, Aerosmith. and he's in Alien 4. And, oh, he's just like the, yeah, he's just sort of pushed aside to some degree as the whacked out dude. Yeah, he's kind of in there to uh, to make someone who's going to be the obvious villain. Well, he's got to be, As a yeah. red herring. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um... Which that's it. I've got to say the the serial killer plot didn't really work for me because I thought there was someone who was I thought there were too many obvious candidates that it was going to be someone else, mm. and I think I knew who it was, you know. But I do. Uh, I'll I'll have to say this now because you know we've been chatting for ages. As much as I love this film, it's a very long film. It's it is two and, two and a half hours, hours or something. And I think the last twenty minutes, as much as I love everything preceding that, I think the last twenty minutes are quite possibly the worst ending to any film I've ever seen absolutely um, well it I'm, I'm not going to say it's the worst ending I've ever it's seen a, it's a, but it it's suddenly after because I remember um, watching it's this, a scramble to finish it's not a scramble it's a kind of kind of a throwing out time at a pub when people are stalling <laughs> a little bit you could have wrapped this up a lot faster and um, the thing is after an hour because this, this is leisurely it's an hour before the serial killer plot even comes in it does. I'll get. I'll give it some. Kudos they can get away with that, though. Yeah, the first yeah. hour is more building that world up, and and telling you what's going on. It's an hour before we really get to the serial killer, and the conspiracy thing has been peppered throughout it, but becomes much more you know in focus then. And I remember watching the the counter on the the DVD player and thinking, 
God, there's, there's, there's another. We're not even halfway through this yet, are we? <laughs> but then the second hour went really quickly. But mm. it's then when you feel you've got to the point when the serial killer's been sorted out, but then you've got this other thing to tie up. I'm not going to say it's the worst thing, but I remember thinking your choices in editing and directing this were terrible. <laughs> not you personally, I know. I don't think you were the editor <laughs> on this, were you? I accept full responsibility. <laughs> we're thinking, you know, it's done now, wrap it up. It feels almost like it had to have the serial killer plot because that was kind of what was going on then with Silence of the Lambs and everything. But at the heart of it, it was the Rodney King thing. And so the end is much more a protracted spotlight on the cop corruption kind of element of it. What happened is, all of a sudden, you were watching a really good film, really well scripted, and then all of a sudden you went, all right, James Cameron's writing this. (laughs) Yes. It just became so bashingly over the head obvious what was going on um, you know if you watch any of his films even from Terminator Terminator 2, Aliens it just became like hey, are you smacking me in the face with this? You're going to step away from true lies oh, wasn't that a racist thing? Someone <laughs> oh <was> yes <laughs> the way he treated the Arabs it, it just became really convoluted and you can't wrap it up well because you're not a very good writer at the, that. The and no one me, would say like no reel that in cut off here cut off there the thing I'll say with that ending is it's like I think Angela Bassett is underused throughout this she should have really been it should have been her and Ray Fine should have been both both of them should have been the central characters mm. it's Fines and she's kind of the sidekick yeah towards the end they give her a lot more to do but it's it's painful it is because for her, it's it's painful. It's 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 a bit like putting the spotlight on, say, oh yeah, we're gonna do loads of things with Angela Bassett now. But it's even like I don't want to spoil the ending if you've not seen it. But it's like, all right, this is a this is what she's dealing with. She's dealt with it. They have to show all the stages of her individually dealing with it, and you know, getting everyone to comply with what she's gonna it, do. It's really clumsy, and it goes on for another like, because like I say, I I from, I'll watch these films usually for the podcast. I'll then scrub through them usually on a you know the DVD at times four times eight whatever mm. that seemed to then still take several minutes to get through something you think tell me uh, I know well, the, the show don't tell rule but I the, don't need to see you actually take these guys the on and back from the dead kind yeah, of thing with yeah. the uh, the like Vincent D'Onofrio uh, yeah. private pal character yeah, who's like, one of one of the cops in it it's just it's just it's excruciating the last 20 mm. minutes is so unnecessary but the thing is that leads up to the actual ending which I'm not sure how satisfying you found this but um, I don't know if it was Roger Ebert's review but I, I did read some reviews of this after he I watched it, it. Mm. <laughs> um, you get it 4 out of 4 well you know oh, Roger. He, got but, all the, um, he was running out of thumbs or I don't know who it was who said this but I think there was the thing of all this setup and all the stuff we've said earlier about they're really unpleasant characters you know they're all in this just absolute septic tank of a world and at the end it seems a little like, like the message is try and be a bit positive and like people it seems like yeah I, it I, seems I, like I, a brushing over punch, it it I seems like know. a weak punchline to it but I think people put the hope in individuals when they watch a film though mm. that's where it's coming from I you have to I, but I, it was, it's such an unusual thing that you've got a character like Fines who's so reprehensible throughout oh, yeah, it and I'm, then at the end it's kind of like is redeemed or some somewhat. Yeah, I di- I didn't buy that, and I ca- I can see where like the reviewer might say that, but I think ultimately when you watch a film, you you want a hero, you want someone to come out of it smelling of roses mm. at the very least, or at least someone who's you've identified with. Yeah, it. but I I mean to be 
<laughs> also to against what I'm saying I, I really found he was so reprehensible throughout the whole thing the way he treated everyone the way yeah. he was just so for himself but that was also very it's indicative of the society that is in that the way that society has gone I really love those bits at the beginning there's some great editing where uh, it's done to music so you've got some metal music and then you've got some really light classical music as people are just being like fucked over <laughs> yes. by like muggers or police and stuff and that really like it, there's something really stylistically beautiful about that but also it puts up questions and I don't know so it's a far cry from a perfect film but thoroughly enjoyable well you know what you pulled over the wrong black male tonight officer what is Steckler officer Steckler because I'm that 800 pound gorilla in your midst fucker I make more money in a day than you make in a whole year and my lawyer loves spending my money dragging sorry-ass Aryan robocop fuckers like you into court. Get a man down on the ground with no probable cause, man, fuck you! Um, we've not mentioned, but race plays a massive part of this, doesn't it? That's what the whole conspiracy is about, is this... Uh, it's not Rodney King, it's a kind of um, prophetic rapper, isn't it? And that's why... You know, spokesman uh, Jericho One, yeah, isn't it? Who has he has this amazing sort of raps that are much more like um, is it the Last Prophets who were in mm. the seventies who pretty much created the idea yeah, of hip hop and, and, and Vanilla stuff. Rice as well. <laughs> <laughs> that was lent towards. If you hear Cameron talk about this film now, he said that's his starting point for the mm -hmm. whole movie was about what the the race relations that were uh, boiling at that yeah. point building up to something and I think it's admirably done but it's so predictable <laughs> one of the things I really enjoyed about this it, it ties in with the whole New Year's celebrations but it's the, it's, it's the um, I'm going to say something as fancy as dichotomy of um Millennial, uh, millennial stress and there's the idea that everything's going to explode and everything's coming to an end, it's the end of days everything is a party in this isn't it there's a lot of, you know, everything's set at nightclubs here and ev everyone's having a really hedonistic time and then at the end I mean these must have been incredible logistics things to do but this is huge street parties because everything's counting down to the millennium and yeah I really like that idea that it's the end of everything but everyone's just determined to uh I mean, a big party of it and just the title was taken from the Doors uh, album wasn't it it as is well. and that's odd I, I, this is uh, probably tells you something about me I didn't think of the Doors at all I was thinking of the John Lennon song um, nobody told me there'd be days like these when the, the, the chorus is strange days indeed the soundtrack to this is quite eclectic as you've hinted at it's eclectic and very of its time as well though I think it's S something I really loved with it even though I thought the ending uh, was a little bit disappointing, um, it then has this quite odd um, tune at the end, which is by Deep Forest. Are, are you familiar with them? Yeah, They're yeah, world, yeah, I know. World Deep music Forest. sampling kind of group, but with Peter Gabriel as well, who's seen as a very wet liberal. You know, forget about my my thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was a good. I I like that. It was a good, not necessarily like the song, but I thought it was something good to cap it off. You know. Uh, the 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 tune for me throughout all of that was uh, Skunk and Nancy's. Uh, Who had completely forgotten about? They were, were selling very Jesus selling again. Jesus. They were. I'm not going to say they were huge, but they were prominent. They in were 95. pretty big. Yeah, big. my yeah. mate saw them at Glastonbury I think that year mm. and he said like, oh that's the best thing I've seen live <laughs> like he was you know like 16 year olds at the time and he but was Ray Fiennes like, was a sport act wasn't he <laughs> yeah. he had his leather trousers like. 
<laughs> okay, thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. Cheerio, bye. Goodbye. Now, hate is on. Black resurrection. Get some guns. Fight black. It's going to be shit, shit, shit. Only war, war, war will end it. Our lives are all we have to give. If you can't die, die. Said that's the way to fix me But I want the retribution Revolution to get me I got my fucking dad Ain't whistling no Dixie Like Baba Dubao Baba Dubao Baba Dubao To my ancestors Dubao Hey I want my freedom now And I ain't doing no talking I'm stalking today You don't keep your peace treaties in your way Just understand that acting is lying And you can lie a million different ways <laughs>